Hi there. My name's Andrew Kays, and I'm the pastor at Emmanuel Evangelical Lutheran Church of Paynes Point. That's in rural Oregon, Illinois. You're about to hear me preach. Now, this episode was recorded during the COVID-19 pandemic, during which time public worship has been disrupted. We don't have it every Sunday. Therefore, all sermons have been recorded ahead of time to make them available online. The preached texts are included in the audio of this episode, but you can still find a link to them in the episode description. Unless otherwise noted, all scripture is NRSV, used under the gratis policy of the copyright holder, the National Council of Churches. Our second reading comes from 1 Corinthians, the sixth chapter. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are beneficial. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is meant not for fornication, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Should I therefore take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that whoever is united to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For it is said, the two shall be one flesh. But anyone united to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Shun fornication. Every sin that a person commits is outside the body, but the fornicator sins against the body itself. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, which you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Here ends the reading. Grace and peace to you, sisters and brothers in Christ. Well, it finally happened. Over this past nearly a year, there's one Bible verse that I'm sure I've quoted more than any other, and it's finally arrived on a Sunday morning. So we better address it. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are beneficial. Sometimes translated, all things are permissible. You've heard me uh, go over the context of 1 Corinthians, I don't know, a hundred times or so, because this letter comes up at various times throughout our three-year lectionary cycle. It's a pretty common one to hear read in church, including the fact that we always have it in the time after Epiphany. We always read a series from 1 Corinthians in January. And if you remember that little detail, you may well remember why we do it. That could jog your memory on what went on in Corinth. We and many other Christians of various stripes have our annual meetings here in January. It's the month that if we're going to have a big argument about budgets or changes, you know, new pew cushions or what have you, if we're going to have such an argument, it's going to be in January. Now, really, even in congregations that have a lot of social cohesion, a lot of mutual trust and understanding throughout the year and most years, they will sooner or later, each of us will sooner or later, have a contentious, heated annual meeting. So we lead up to those meetings with the Corinthians because they started it off. They're the archetypal example of a congregation who disagree. <laughs> We even became dysfunctional because of their disagreement. I mean, they segregated themselves into groups uh, based on their beliefs, based on which teacher or preacher they preferred, and even what spiritual gifts they had and valued. And wouldn't you know it, each gift, each gift, each group happened to value its own gift the most, figuring it was the most valuable, that they were to be honored above others. 
Well, Paul addresses some of the ways these conflicts have arisen and then takes Jesus' teachings or principles of the gospel more broadly and applies them to, you know, try to get them to behave. And this year, we jump right into the deep end with this January series in 1 Corinthians. And the question at hand, the issue at hand is fornication. It's enough to make contramans giggle and plenty of adults squirm. Sex just isn't something we talk about all that much publicly. Maybe some public ad campaigns, sex ed in school, and of course, sometimes debates in church. Other than that, though, we tend to brush it aside out of embarrassment. But as always, for the hundred and first time, we have to remember the context. This isn't how it worked in Paul's day. While Paul was pretty inclusive about most theological matters, at least compared to his peers, that wasn't the case when it came to sex. In Paul's day, there were pagan temples that housed literal prostitutes. These were advertised as a way to worship their pagan Roman gods and goddesses, those called sold sex, to keep the coffers stuffed to raise money. While some would have opposed the practice simply because, well, that's what Other religions do, false religions, so we're not going to do it. Paul finds it disturbing like in its own right. He's pretty open about other things. Even in this same letter, he'll give permission under certain circumstances to eat meat that was sacrificed to pagan gods. But this one here, this is a line that Paul even won't cross. Paying for sex under this ridiculous presumption that it pleases some divine power is just a bridge too far. And this context is so far removed from the way we do things around here that it's hard to imagine, much less to imagine that it was considered acceptable. This was normal. I won't belabor it too much more, only to say this. This is a crucial, this is crucial to understanding this text. These activities, which Paul is condemning, they were considered acceptable by most people, at least non-Jewish people in that part of the world. People were generally cool with this, but Paul was not. Now, at a glance, you might think Paul's a little bit stuck. Here and in other places in 1 Corinthians, the problem appears to be the Corinthians heard the gospel means you are forgiven all your sins. And then they said to themselves, well, in that case, why not go on sinning? Have your cake and eat it too. Do all the wrong things, at least the fun ones, but be just as righteous as can be before God. They treated grace like it was cheap, like because it was free to them, it must have come without much of a cost anywhere else. Now, he could have illuminated them on the weight of grace in other ways. It might be enough to tap into their sense of honor and shame and say, Listen, this is no small matter for God. And the proper way to respond to your salvation is by living in the best and most holy manner that you can. He'll use that line of argument elsewhere. But for the moment, for these few verses, he comes at it from another angle. He addresses it in a different way. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. We might paraphrase that opening line. This has come up as a refrain for me because churches have had their own little corner of the pandemic mitigation shutdown debates. Like, can the freedom to practice religion be suspended by an emergency? And if so, for how long? Can churches be treated differently than businesses, schools, and others? And those civic legal debates, 
The answers have varied across time, across states, and across various sets of guidelines. Some of them apply in different ways. But more often than not, in our neck of the woods, the answer has been that you can technically ignore legal guidance in the sense that, well, you won't be shut down or fined or arrested. But at the same time, ignoring those guidelines brings in different risks, not least of all the physical well-being, the health of our church members, but also our impact on the community, on its economy, on the extent to which mitigations will remain and expand, and, and so on. And even possibly legal recourse, uh, in, like civil suits, if we're utterly reckless. In other words, just because we can doesn't mean we should. All things are permissible, but not all things uh, are beneficial. We're in such a different context than those Corinthians, so it does feel a little bit strange, especially at a glance, to use this same lesson meant for them and the questions of prostitution to guide us here and now. But that's what we do, right? That's what the church does. We use, <clears throat> excuse me, we use scripture to guide us by looking at what's worked for God's people in the past. The circumstances have changed greatly, but the principles have largely remained the same. You might even argue they've all stayed exactly the same. Just because you can doesn't mean you should, right? What should you do then? Well, Paul goes on to say in so many words that when you honor your own self, you honor God. Not in the sense that you be selfish, quite the contrary. When you treat your body and your life as something to be treasured, as a sacred gift from God, not to be squandered, well, then you're doing the right thing. We do not regard God's grace as cheap grace. It is free to us, to be sure, but it's bought at a price that we were bought at a price. The life, ministry, suffering, death, and resurrection of Jesus, these are no small matter. They are not the sort of thing that you just take for granted, that you just scoff at and go on about your day as though nothing big happened there. I believe that as a congregation, we've taken the path that treasures life itself and honors Jesus' calling to give of ourselves for the sake of our neighbors. The principle is even more broad, though. When we minimize or excuse our own misdeeds, whether that's because they're forgiven anyway or because we figure they just aren't all that bad, you know, at least I don't do that, or we figure, what's it matter? We're all heaven-bound anyway. Well, then we've joined the Corinthians in missing the point, just in a different way. I said uh, up at the start of the service that this reading doesn't have to connect to the theme of the day. And that's true, but let me call your attention to that theme nevertheless, because it fits a bit right here. The theme is, God knows you, and God calls you. Jesus knew Nathaniel before they saw each other face to face. Jesus called those who were appropriate, even though they were imperfect. God called and used ordinary folks just because they had faith enough to walk along with him. And God knows you. God knows your imperfections, too. God forgives you and calls you into relationship, calls you out into the world, into ministry anyway. In an incredible act of mercy, God seeks relationship with us sinners. The question that remains is, what will you do with this freedom you have found in God, afforded to you by the grace of Christ? Honor the call, honor your own body and life, and honor the lives of others. 
We've been called to treat this mercy afforded to us as the invaluable gift that it is. So let's do just that. Amen. Thanks for listening. I pray God spoke to you in some way. A quick note at the end here, which you can skip if you've heard it before. The audio of my sermons does not always include proper citations. While I do some self-study and lean on my seminary education, I also lean on my colleagues with whom we have a regular text study. I also use Luther Seminary's Working Preacher website and their podcast, Sermon Brainwave. Some credit is due to at least one of those sources. Wherever you are, whenever you hear this, please be well. Take care of yourself and each other, and have a great rest of the week.